0: Hopefully after last week, you are hopefully burdened for the world, hopefully burdened for the world, in contrast to despairingly overwhelmed by the state of the world. There's a few channels on your direct television or your dish network or your YouTube, uh, however you you get you media, Twitter, Peacock, um, all the birds. There is a way to be in a perpetual state of despairing hopelessness about the world. And that is not the posture of the church. Because we are a people who are set apart from the world for the sake of the world. We are a people of purpose. In our divine DNA is mission. Every one of us are called to mission. Last week, we came to the conclusion that although not everyone is called to teach, everybody in this room is called to preach. Every one of us are called to proclaim the gospel. Now, our purpose in proclaiming the gospel is twofold. One, we are called to embody the gospel, and I'll explain that in a minute. Two, we are called to proclaim the gospel, which means we have to use our mouth at some point to say the name of Jesus. The news that Jesus is Lord is something a watching world should be able both to observe and to hear. So, we've got to be a people who live as if Jesus is Lord and both proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Maybe we'll have a minute to talk just in in dialogue back and forth about what that looks like. Um, So I'm going to summarize where we've been in the book of Acts and what we've taken out of Acts all the way up to basically chapter 2. Verse 41 is how far we've made it so far. Um, It looks like, Johnny helped me chart out our Acts journey. It looks like we will be in Acts all the way until Christmas. It's a big book. So um, we'll take our time getting there. What God has created us for is beyond our capacity to accomplish on our own. So if you feel overwhelmed, you took the right step. Uh, I'll quote Bill Johnson, and I'll say this. Bill Johnson says, If you are not overwhelmed by your assignment, you do not see it clearly. So all of this I'm talking about is in the context of us being a people who are called to proclaim the gospel to the world. Rather than pointing at a dying world and saying, You guys, I can't say the word. I want to say because Mama's here. Um, rather than pointing at the world and saying... Y'all are just hopeless. We don't use this. Word. I'm trying to use the words that y'all use in your head, and I can't use it because Mom's here. Um, that's Yeah. Rather than pointing at the world saying, y'all just suck. Your ideas suck. Your ways of life suck. Everything. See, I, I can't say that word. I'm just saying what people say. All right? Um, rather than saying that, our call is find where there's darkness And in prayer, ask God to either move us or somebody who's filled with light into the area of darkness. We no longer have permission to be the people sitting back in our chairs at our house complaining about the state of the world. Why would they know to do better? If they don't have a people to observe and a proclamation to hear. If there's no example, how should they know? Rather than debilitating us, though, it is the revelation that we cannot accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. It is that revelation that properly postures us to receive the power necessary to carry out what God has called us to do. Will Willimon, who's a pastor up in North Carolina, said, our waiting implies that the things which need doing in the world are beyond our ability. That's Will's reference to Jesus telling the disciples, I want you to go to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world, but not yet. Wait until you're filled with power. Again, this is just a recap of where we've been. The the Pentecost event uh, was all these people who spoke different languages were able to gather and hear uh, God being magnified and um, majestified in languages that were their own. So this Pentecost event was not the reversal of what happened in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. It was the redemption of it. And with that in mind... Stanley Harwas said this, he said, The problem at Babel is not human inventiveness. It is when our forebears use their creative gifts to live as if they need not acknowledge that their existence depends on gifts. So the thread so far, we're halfway through the sermon so far, the thread is what we are called to do Our mandate that God has given us is something we cannot do. The best thing we could do is wait. All right, that's where we are in the story. Now I got a question for you. Why would God stake the expansion of his kingdom on the lifestyle and proclamation of his people? Doesn't that sound absurd? God stakes the expansion of the kingdom on the observable lifestyle and the proclamation abilities of his people. Why would he do that? Doesn't it seem like there'd be a better way? And here's the sermon for today. It's five points. You aren't used to that, are you? Not from me. But I used my typewriter this morning. See that? And you can do points on the typewriter. Um, The first speech within the post-Pentecost community was made by Peter. Let me just give a quick commercial break. Irrelevant to the sermon, sort of. There was just a New Testament discovery that may be like one of the coolest theological nerd discoveries to happen in like 30-something years this week. And I'm excited to tell you all about it. Not today, but um, anyway, just know that something real exciting happened in the New Testament community this week. Really exciting. Um, We'll come back to that. That's a commercial. So the first speech within the post-Pentecost community was made by Peter. Now, here's who Peter is, and here's what I want to encourage you. Peter is the one who's the first representative to proclaim this gospel after the Holy Spirit has come, all right? I'm about to give you Peter's qualifications so that you know if you are qualified or not to do a similar thing, all right? Here's Peter's qualifications. Peter was the one who fled in darkness and loudly denied his Lord when he was confronted by the maid. So Peter was the one who told Jesus, I will never deny you. Jesus like, really? He's like, never, really, never, really, never. And he did. Not only did he deny him, but every time he was put on the spot, he denied him three different times. This is Peter. Peter is the one who used what was supposed to be a symbolic sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll explain one day why it's supposed to be a symbol. He was the one who used a symbolic sword and turned it into a literal sword, whipped that thing off his side, and tried to cut the head off of somebody who was attempting to arrest Jesus. We actually get this guy's name. His name is Malchus. Jesus has to heal Malchus's ear, not because Peter... Intended to cut his ear off, but because Malchus ducked, right? And Peter didn't get his neck. He got his ear. Jesus heals Malchus's ear and tells Peter, Peter, if you live by the sword, brother, you're going to die by the sword. This is Peter's uh, qualification so far. The denier, the attempted murderer... Peter's the only one Jesus ever calls Satan. I want to read to you John chapter 18. So far, if you have denied Jesus, if you've attempted murder, you're still in. All right, uh, John 18. Well, John 18 is the one where he tries to kill Malchus. Let me go to Matthew. Matthew 16. Y'all got the Malchus story already. Matthew 16. Where it's at? He just told Peter, Peter, uh, on this rock, I'll build my church. Talking about Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. This, the... The rock he was talking about is Peter had recognized that Jesus was the Christ. So verse 21 of chapter 16 says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the experts in the law, and be killed. He's showing them, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day be raised. So Peter took him aside. Peter takes Jesus aside He said, God forbid, Lord, This must not happen to you. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. So far, Peter's the one who denies Jesus. He's the one who attempts murder when he knows that Jesus is supposed to be arrested. And he's the only one Jesus had called Satan except Satan himself. Jesus categorized the whole group of Pharisees at one point as of their father, the devil, but this is the only one he calls Satan. According to Acts four, he was the only one who was an unschooled and ordinary man. So he did not have theological training. He was just plain. So if you're just plain, you don't have to take that label. If you're unschooled, He was the one who, and we'll discover this in a couple chapters, the one who was reluctant to participate in the actual community that he prophesied would come about. He prophesied there'd be a community where uh, the the slaves would be prophesying and the women would be prophesying and the servants would be prophesying and the old men and the young men would dream dreams and have visions. He's the one that prophesied all this, and when it starts happening, he will not even participate in it. When the Jews and Gentiles are eating together, he will not even sit at the table like, I'm not eating with y'all. So much so where God has to send a man named Cornelius to tell him, it's fine. Y'all can even eat meat. This is Peter, all right? I'm not participating in the community that Jesus died for, that the Holy Spirit has enacted. I'm going to deny him. I'm not going to trust that his way to the cross is the way. I'm going to try to kill anybody that comes at us. This is Peter. And he's the one who gets to be our first post-Pentecost example of proclaiming the gospel. Peter is qualified for one reason. He recognized who Jesus was. That's all you got to do. You don't have to know where the story's going. You don't have to understand why Jesus was more willing to die than he was to kill you don't have to understand any of those things. What you have to understand is this. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't, know any, I don't know what the heck that means for anything else, but I know something in me is shaking, and I know your Lord. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know who gets to be invited, but I, I am somehow filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm able to say, Jesus is Lord, and I don't even know what a Lord is. Jesus looked at Peter one time. He said, are you going to leave me? This is John chapter 6. Peter said, no, <laughs> I don't know where I'd go. Your words are the words of eternal life. Peter was super screwed up, but he got one thing. When he speaks, when Jesus speaks, something happens in me. Why would God stake the expansion of his kingdom on the lifestyle and proclamation of his people? Why would God stake the expansion of his kingdom on the lifestyle and proclamation of somebody like Peter? Like Cody? Like Brent? Like Danny? Why would he do that? Because we can't do it without him. And that's what Peter recognized. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. That's the qualification. It wasn't schooling. It wasn't a history of good behavior. It wasn't even being with Jesus for three years and picking up on where the story was going. Because he didn't. He's still trying to kill people at the very end of the story. Which encourages me. Because most of my Christian buddies are still trying to do the same thing. I'm like, I think there's a different way, brothers. (laughs) But they're still, in their heart, they're saying, His words are the words of eternal life. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's proclaim the gospel. We can't without him.